Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Hi, guys. How are y'all? Perfect. Hold on, give me a second to get loaded. This is my second time speaking in front of a big group, so bear with me. Um, Well, if you don't know me, my name is Amara Howard. I am 16. I go to Model High School, and I'm a student leader here at Cornerstone. Um, This is a picture of my family and I when we were in Las Vegas. Beside me, that's my dad and my mom. I asked them to sit in the back. I can't even see them. That's perfect, because I don't want to. They make me nervous. (laughs) it's true Um, and then those are my three siblings Mimi the tall one Ethan and Gabby and right here we look like a happy little family of six but we're actually a family of seven Gabby counts as both the sibling and the dog so (laughs) so so we were all on a family vacation not this one but in Hilton Head and Pastor Stephen called me and he was like hey, Amar, like, do you want to speak at Student Takeover? And I was like, not really, and hung up. And then <laughs> he called me back like two minutes later and was like, please, like, I don't have anyone else. Tyler's on vacation. I might have to put Stevie on the mic. Like, I just need you to do this. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. I said yes the first time. And then a couple weeks later, he texted me and he was like, I'm going to need you to focus on the book of Habakkuk. So I looked into it, and I realized that the overall theme of the whole book was to rejoice in the Lord throughout all circumstances. And so that kind of hit me because at the beginning of the year, Pastor Stephen always challenges us to find a word that we're going to focus on through the whole year and glorify God through that word. And my word just happens to be rejoice as well. So it's funny how God, like, aligns everything for his purpose. And that's actually why one of my favorite favorite Bible verses is Romans 8, 28. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So I just thought that was funny how something that I thought of all the way back in December came to happen right now. So anyways, the book of Habakkuk is basically a time when the people of Judea have turned their backs on God. They're all just not doing the right thing. They're sacrificing their children, you know, worshiping idols, just not aligning their thoughts with God. And so Habakkuk calls out to the Lord, and he's like, Lord, what's going on? Why are these people disobeying you? Like, they're supposed to be your people. And he's just calling out. He's very upset. And God's like, okay, um, here's what I'll do. I'm going to send some people to come and destroy you guys and teach you a lesson, basically, I'm going to send the people of Babylon. And he's like, wait, the people of Babylon, they're 10 times worse than us. Like, what is this? That's like if Gabby were sent to teach me a lesson. Like, I'm supposed to be teaching her a lesson. Like, she's the little one. You know, she does the bad things. I'm the good one. And so, but he's, he, in the end of the book, he's just able to rejoice in the Lord, although his circumstances didn't change. The people were still disobeying, but he was able to say, yeah, I rejoice in the Lord. And so reading that, I was kind of like, how is someone able to change their whole mindset when their circumstances don't really change? And that's what I wanted to learn from this. So another story that kind of aligns with this one is of a man named Alan Gardner. He lived in the 1850s and he was 
um, a missionary. And so he wanted to do something never been done before. He wanted to go, he wanted to go speak to the people of South Africa, a people group called the Fujinos. And these people were seen as like hopeless. They were never going to follow God, pointless. There was no point in going there. Even the famous Charles Darwin said, it's completely useless to send missionaries to savages such as the Fujino people, probably the lowest of the human race. So obviously I wouldn't want to go there. I don't know about y'all, but not really. But anyways, so he has this plan. He gets these people, his crew, and he goes out for months. He decides that they're not going to have an escape. They're going to stay there for the months that they were meant to. They have their food supply, everything. But when they get there, the Fujino people just come, steal their food, steal their supplies, and leave. They don't want to hear about the Lord. They don't want anything to have to do with them. And so because their food is gone, they slowly start to starve to death. One by one, people are dying, and month by month pass. So, and we know this because um, Alan Gardner was keeping a journal of what was going on. And so on his last day that we know he was alive, he wrote in his journal, he said, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God as he's starving to death. And I was just like, wow, how is someone able to even say that? How can someone still rejoice when you're in such a harsh and painful, lonely position? How can any person have such a sustained joy when it seems as if everything in life is going wrong? What was his secret? Um, Last week, I went on a volleyball FCA camp. It was really fun, you know. I got closer with my team, but the whole purpose was to also get closer with the Lord. And so they gave each team, like a student leader who was in college, and she would share with us her testimony, and just we could talk to her instead of talking to an adult. And she shared her testimony with us. And her senior year of high school, she found her father passed out on her kitchen. And so he was unconscious, and she didn't know what to do. So she tried doing CPR, and she realized after a few minutes, like, it wasn't working. And so the only thing she could think of was to get down on her knees and pray. And a few minutes after she finished her, play, her prayer, her dad ends up dying. And so her first initial thought was anger. God, why did you let this happen to me? This was my best friend. This is my dad. And now you took him from me. Anger towards God. And, but her mom, in the midst of all her anger, goes up to her and she's like, how are you able to pray in such circumstances? Why didn't you do this, do that to help him? Why weren't you shaking him awake? Why weren't you freaking out? But she was able to keep herself calm and pray to the Lord. Her mom didn't know how angry she was at the Lord after the fact, but she was able to turn that anger into passion for the Lord and share the gospel with her mother because she shared with us that she doesn't know where her dad is right now, if, she's in hev- if he's in heaven or in hell, but he said, my mother's still here, and she's never known the Lord before, but I can use this as an opportunity to share the gospel with her. And so imagine what life would be like if we were all able to find joy in the worst of all circumstances. I wish I could do that. So this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that through Habakkuk, we can find the secret to finding joy in all circumstances. And this will begin to change the way we think about everything we experience in our future. I pray that you will speak through me, Lord, and allow me to say not only what I have prepared, but what you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we need to consider three things. These are the three things that I got from it. One, the inescapable truth of of life's harsh realities. Two, we need to find the secret to joy in all of life's circumstances. And three, that faith sees more clearly than sight. So for one, 
the truth of life's harsh realities are unescapable. So Habakkuk knows what's going on around him. He knows that life is rough. He knows that this is his reality of the time he's living in. In Habakkuk 3.17, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, So he's accepted that this is the reality of what he's living in. He can't do anything right now to change it other than pray to the Lord. He's accepted what happens, and he knows that he realistically can't snap his fingers and make it all come back. We understand that you can't just close your eyes and not see the sin that's around you. Whether or not we believe in sin, it doesn't change the fact that the world contains it, right? So in the 21st century right now, you know, people are dying way too soon. The poor are still trampled upon. People are judged on their outward appearance, which they can't change. But, you know, in Little Rome, Georgia, it's easy to forget about these things. Like just last, the other week, we were all um, at Ridge Ferry popping fireworks together, not caring who's beside us. You know, every week, my friends and I, we go play tennis. We're all friends from different backgrounds, but we can all just get together and swim and play tennis without thinking of any of these things. So when, we ha- when we're having a good time, it's easy to forget reality. So then when something does happen, we fall into a slump or into d- denial, and then like, why is this happening? It takes a lot to realize that the world's not all sunshines and rainbows all the time. But whether or not we see the cruelty 24-7, sin is the reality of the world, and it's how the life runs its course. So although ha- Habakkuk is talking about fig trees and olive crops, we can customize it to fit our own lives. So I might say... Um, Though I'm scared of public speaking, though I'm scared of catching a cold, though I'm nervous to go back into the social world where after a year of corona, we have all experienced like the same emotions that Habakkuk is describing here. Every season has its fig trees that don't bud and its vines without grapes. So for us to think that nothing bad will happen is just setting us up, ourselves up for disaster and false expectations when things do happen, which they always will. Because we know we live in a fallen world and things will happen. Sin has crept up into this world. And there's not a single person that will walk unscathed from sin's power in our lives. We will encounter sickness, heartbreak, and suffering. But what we do need to remember is that the suffering that we will undergo, the fig trees that won't blossom, the oil that's not producing fruit, these are not punishments from God. When we forget that sin is just the reality of the world, we blame God for this reality. I often have to remind myself of this. It's easy to believe that God's just allowing these things to happen because we need to learn to stop doing bad things. I forget that God's not Santa. He doesn't keep a list of naughty and nice. He doesn't say, oops, Amara, hey, Gabby, this morning, I'm going to put a spider in her room tonight. That'll teach her. He doesn't say, oops, Miss Nicole's at the beach not watching her beloved Amara speak for the first time in front of the church. Let me send her a tropical storm. (laughs) You know, like... I forget that the things that befall us are not because God wants to punish us, but because we live in a fallen world. Life as it is now was not God's original design. So unless we understand how sin has infected and broken this world, we will never look to the Savior in hope. If we go through life without understanding how sin has devastated this world, we would only have false hope. We could only say, you know, I hope that next season is better than this one. Let me just hold my, let me just hold my breath, cross my fingers, and hope for the best. We will hope to escape what's inescapable, and that's just setting ourselves up for disappointment. Which is why it's so important to accept that the things that are happening in the world are just our reality, not punishments from God. And also why we need to learn the secret to rejoicing 
in God and not in empty wishes. So that brings me to my second point, which is the secret to joy in life, joy in all of life circumstances, which is not actually a secret at all. In Habakkuk 3.18, Habakkuk says, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This word yet is so powerful because it draws such a strong contrast. Although Habakkuk knows that life is harsh and suffering is inescapable, yet he is able to rejoice because he does not find his joy in these circumstances, but in the Lord. God is his source of hope. He could be easily be tempted to consider the invading army of Babylon and choose to see what's directly in front of him. But instead, he, tor- he chooses to look towards the horizon and see what is to come. He says, yet yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord. He's not downplaying the drought or the famine. He isn't dismissing the harsh reality of what's happening around him, but he is choosing to look for his joy in the Lord, not in the circumstance. Putting hope in circumstance would be to say, you know, although my dad got a new job and we have to move, maybe the job will just fall through and we'll get to move back. Whereas putting our hope in the Lord would be saying, yet yeah, I'm moving to a whole new place. God has a whole new purpose for me. He He went before me and planned this out for me. Putting hope in circumstance might be saying, although this door in my life is closed, maybe another one will open tomorrow or the same one will open tomorrow. Putting hope in God would be to say, yet this door in my life is closed. I know that God is using this as an opportunity to open so many more doors up in my life. Putting hope in circumstance would be to see God's plan for our life and just hope that it aligns with ours. You know, I want to be a doctor, but God might want me to be a volleyball, a volleyball coach. And so putting my hope in circumstance would be, well, maybe I can just coach after doctoring. No, putting hope in God would be understanding that God's plan is better than mine and that I will find more fulfillment from what he wants me to do. We are tempted to look at the issue that's right in front of us, but do we know how to say, yeah, I will still rejoice in the Lord? We don't know what the Lord has in store for us for the rest of 2021. But here's what we do know. If we continue to allow the situations of our life to dictate our hope and joy, we'll be stuck in a life like a roller coaster and get sick from the loop-de-loops. But when our joy and hope is grounded in the Lord, it becomes untouchable and unshakable. Why? Because the Lord himself is faithful. This means our safety can be taken away. Our treasures can be taken away. Our health and our security. All of that can be taken away. But the God of our salvation cannot be taken away. No matter what happens in our life, the fact that Jesus died on the cross will not change. Um, Habakkuk 3.19 says that the the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So what does that mean? A deer does not shake or quake in elevation. His feet don't slip. Habakkuk is saying that when you you put your trust in the Lord, he will make your feet steady like a deer. You will not fall because God is steady. So on my desk, I have a pin holder. And so it's basically just like a jar with little beads in it. And the beads are so small that when you stick your hand in, all the beads will come out as well. So my siblings love this. They'll come and run in my room and then mess up everything that I just put back in there. They'll literally stick their hands in and they're all on the floor again. And so life can be like these beads. You know, when they fall on the floor, they bounce. If the, sur- the surface is tilted, they'll lean that way or they'll lean the other way. Um, if there's a hill, it'll roll down the hill. And if it has mo- enough momentum, it'll go back up the hill. 
But if you were to hold it into your hand, it would be secure, untouchable, and unshakable. If your life, like this marble, is dictated by the circumstances of the world, it might fall off the edge or get lost in the corner. Pastor Andrew Kim from Cornerstone Presbyterian made this reference, and he said, But if your life is held in the hands of God, it is safe and secure, untouchable and unshakable. This is why we have to rejoice not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. So as we are entering our beloved back-to-school slash get-rid-of-the-kids season, do we know the secret? Are we banking our hope in the God of our salvation? When the world tells us, dude, you should be sorry for yourself. you got to go back to school August 6th. Can we say, yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord? When, the, when everything feels as if it's going wrong and the world says, why don't we just blame God? Can we say, yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord? When everything is taken away from you, and everything that once brought you joy is no longer there, can you say, yet yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord? The secret to joy in all of life's circumstances is not a hidden mystery. It's a simple truth that comes from knowing that God is our strength and our salvation. How does a ship stay secure when it's out in the water? Most people think when it's not in the weather or in the storms, but when it's docked in the harbor, right? But a ship is meant to be out in the harbor. It's meant to be out on the water. It's meant to be in the sea. A ship is truly secure when it lets out its anchor. Whether or not it's in the harbor or in the middle of the storm, the ship will not be overturned. In the same way, we cannot just have our hope and joy in life when we're, sh- when we're shielded from harsh- life's harsh realities in the harbor. Those things are inescapable, which is why we need to anchor our hope in the Lord. This way, when life comes crashing down on us, our hope can still remain- be remained untouched and stable. And this is a secret that we all need to learn. But that's not the only thing we can learn from Habakkuk. We can also learn that faith sees more clearly than sight. We have to take a, back, take a step back and see the whole nature of the passage. We can only learn the secret to rejoicing in the hope of the Lord when we learn to see by faith, not by sight. Amen. Habakkuk had every reason by sight to be afraid. In verse 16, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones, and my legs trembled. So how did he go from being scared to just rejoicing in the Lord? Habakkuk chose to see by faith and not by sight. He learns that by faith in God, he has a clearer vision than he ever did by seeing by sight in his present circumstance. But doesn't that sound foolish? Isn't it better to go by what you can see than what you can't? No one drives by faith, not by sight. Like, I just got my license maybe two weeks ago. If my parents heard that I rose my hands and said, Jesus, take the wheel in the middle of driving, I would not be standing up here to tell the tale. Let me just tell you that. (laughs) Um, But as Christians, faith lets us see into the future where sight can actually blind us. How can faith be more certain than sight? Well, for example, Jesus. God sent Jesus as the only sinless person. But although he was sinless, he endured great suffering and hardship during his life. Babylon wasn't on Jesus' horizon, but the cross was. As Jesus was looking into the horizon, he could have prayed just as Habakkuk did, but in terms with his life. He could have said, you know, though Judas betrayed me, though my three closest friends fail me, though my twelve disciples deny me, though I am met with silence in my most desperate hour and I leave this world with shame on a cross, Jesus would choose to say, Though this is true, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He lived by faith and not by sight. 
If he lived by sight, he would have heard the screams of those being crucified before him, looked up to see the length of the nails and the height of the cross, and been like, yeah, I'm good. But Jesus didn't live by sight. He lived by faith. And in living by faith, he could look at the cross, look at the tomb, look at the whips, and look at himself, knowing that he did nothing wrong, but say, okay, I will endure that. Jesus was able to endure all of life's harsh realities and more and still rejoice in the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 says, To fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of life, of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In the midst of the harshness of life, he was still able to rejoice because he lived by faith and not by sight. Here's our hope. If Jesus' story had ended on the cross, if Jesus hadn't risen three days later, he would have shown us that it's better to live by sight and not by faith. If the cross was where his story ended, then that would have been true. But that's not the end of the story. Although he died on the cross, he was gloriously resurrected. So this proves to us that it is better to live by faith than by sight. This proves that Jesus saw more clearly by faith than we ever will by sight. This guarantees to all who cling to him that we will live by faith in him, and it's far better than living by sight in the circumstances around us. The gospel reminds us of the hope that Jesus gave us cannot be taken away. His resurrection was proof that everything by faith will come true, salvation, redemption, and eternal life. All these things that we believe by faith are so true and that we will one day experience by sight. One day, an eternity in heaven, these things will now, that we only see by faith, we will be seeing by sight. What Jesus has given by faith is more real than anything we can see or touch on earth. Knowing that God is with us and plans out every step, we can say in confidence that no matter what happens in the end, I win. I know how this story ends, and no matter the circumstances that get me to that end point, even though the earth is sinful, one day I will be heaven and none of the, in heaven and none of this will matter. So as I close, I challenge everyone to rejoice in the Lord through all circumstances. Because just imagine how great life could be if we could all be like Alan Gardner and be overwhelmed with the sense of goodness of God on our last breath. Thank you. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.